This feature presentation is brought to you in living color. Thank you. Hollywood's ready. Thank you very much. New, new, new world order. I stand before you today. Now you're going to get it. Humble by the premier event that is about to take place. Our own pay-per-view. We are in control. He's out of control. WCW sucks. Sucks. <laughs> There's another Sean Waltman thing I'd like to say as well. Is that, uh, I've seen his knob. Yeah. I was about to ask you, like, at what point, like, uh, like, like you bumped into him into the toilet or something. And just, uh, no, like, not this. This afternoon, who, who had a piss next to Kane? That was me. Is it you, Tinky? Yeah, yeah, you had a piss next to the team, didn't you? Amazing. Wonderful stuff. So so you have seen the His Big Red Monster? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, very disappointed I went Wait, in there at that time. So what happened is I went into the toilet. Um, Chris Jericho was stood right in front of me, walked in in front of me, went into one of the cubicles. That's amazing. Chris Jericho went <laughs> in front of yeah, the Hall yeah. of Fame ceremony. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, <laughs> I went into, you know, stood at one of the urinals, and I looked to my left, and I, th- I can't remember what it was now. I think it was MVP was on my left, and um, and there was somebody else on my right. Oh, I can't remember the, who it was now. And then to my to the to, to the next right of them was Kane, and I just was like, when you're stood in the urinal, and there are three blokes who are massive and tall as well, you are looking nowhere but forward. You are not looking anywhere. But forward, I hang on, hang on. So you're stood next to three men who are massive as well as tall. So you're looking over there, but each other is your dirty get. I was going to say, the, 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 thing, the thing that I take from that is that if it, if it was just three normal guys stood next to you, thinking you'd be like, let's have a look. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure, you've surely experienced this already. I mean, you can have a look. Have a look. There's um, not much to look at, mate, to be honest. <laughs> Dirty Todger Watcher. Um, indeed, indeed. Now, that, that's what I was going to ask you when you said it. I was like, well, when was this? When did you stand next to six in the arena? Nah, I'll be honest, there was there was something else I actually had to say about that match involving six, and I forgot about it, so I just panicked. I was like, I've seen this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, indeed, it is episode two of the Random Wrestling Review, and uh, we are delighted to have made it this far. I guess we are making this official now. This is a podcast. We've even got a Twitter and an Instagram, at RWRPodUK. You can uh, follow us if you wish to. Um, And uh, we are going to be looking at Sold Out 1997 today, the NWO's 
uh, pay-per-view uh, in January of 1997. Uh, I'm Ben Spindler and I am joined by a couple uh, of um, fellow wrestling enthusiasts. First of all, let me introduce you to the to the person who puts man into old man. His name is Sam Carey. Sam, how are you doing? I'm good, Ben. Thank you very much for making it this far with us. Now, you uh, were like, very excited last week about this this set this very episode. You you said at the beginning of last week's episode, I can't wait for the next show. Well, here here we are. We made it. Yes. Um, I think the listeners will probably realise that my enthusiasm hasn't dimmed at all, although my enthusiasm for this particular show that we're covering today is not low, but questioned, I think. Questionable. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest, I'm not really sure what that means. Well, we'll uh, find out. We'll find yes, out. Yes, you through. will. Um, and also we've got uh, the man who puts the uh, myth into Tom Smith. It is Tom Smith. Tom, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad. I like that. That's a good intro. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, speaking of mythical beings... Okay. Which you kind of were then. Uh, you see over my right shoulder, you can see it. There it is. The flag. Brilliant, brilliant visual stuff for a podcast. Got, got to love it. Well, <laughs> it's on, uh, there's a picture of it on our Instagram account at rwrpoduk. Ah, uh, nice. If anybody wants to find it. So, uh, but yeah, I've got it hung up right in place in the spare room. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but to be fair, that's where I spend most of my time. So, uh, you know, it's good to, good to always go around and look at Look at the hitman every now and again. Just absolute treat. That's going to get some funny looks in some of my team meetings tomorrow. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Now, um, we've uh, we've we're as we said, we're covering sold out 1997. The the NWO's pay per view presentation at a point when the NWO was at one of it. Well, basically at its peak, 1997, commercial peak for the uh, one of the most um, revolutionary wrestling storylines in history. And I think that as we go through this, we'll find that. This is probably also one of the most fascinating shows, probably for all the wrong reasons um, you'll ever likely to see. Um, I guess what we'll start with, um, which we we try to do, is get your, without going into any kind of real detail, what your general thoughts are. Um, Old man, let's start with you. It's a difficult watch, I think, especially for, like you said, we'll get into it, for some of the, the shenanigans that go on around the matches is quite awkward I think watching it back 23 years later <laughs> um the show is the show is fascinating it's just a it's a very odd presentation but strangely endearing as well wow because, okay, that's interesting yeah as the listeners will find out they may find that a little contradictory from myself but <laughs> It was a uh, yeah. It's very interesting. Well, I'm I'm interested to know what what you think is endearing about it. So we'll we'll come back come to that later on. Tom, your thoughts? It's a really good concept that's executed terribly. the The idea of the interviewer taking over um, a pay per view and have it themselves, while sounds like a great idea logistically, is never going to really be very good. But there's certain aspects of it that are legitimately really cool but that are just done really badly. So um, just little things like, you know, like the kind of Eric Bishop kind of dictatorship promo at the beginning video package is really cool. The presentation of like, it's like the fact that like, the ring and it, the, um, you know, the, uh, the commentary team of Eric Bischoff and Ted DiBiase are just like sat on these giant speakers. It's like little, little things like that, just like make it look cool and a little bit different, but generally everything's just done really badly. Um, 
So it's like a show that could potentially have been really good, but just wasn't done very well at all. Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought it was dreadful. I genuinely thought this was an awful one of the one of the worst wrestling shows I've ever watched. I'm not even gonna lie. Um, and and I think, oh man, you hit on it. Some of the stuff that goes on around the matches just drag it down. Like actually, the matches themselves I think are pretty poor overall. But the stuff that goes on around it makes it just absolutely abysmal, like really hard to watch and just just and and really badly executed, like you said, Tom. Now, I thought it might help if we start off by because we've we've already acknowledged this last week. We talked about the fact that we're all kind of even though we're, we've watched a bit, fair bit of other wrestling, we are really WWF, WWE fans. We've grown up watching WWE more than anything else. Um, so I thought it might be a good good idea to get some of our WCW prejudice at prejudices out of the way early. So um, I wonder I wonder if there's anything you can pick on individually that you dislike about WCW in general because I don't, I thought we just get out of the way and then we don't have to we don't have to color the rest of our analysis. So for example, one of the things I dislike about WCW is the sound mix on WCW shows. So the crowd always sound much quieter on WCW shows than on than anything WWF has ever produced. I don't know why that is, but the what the the crowd just always seems lower in the mix, and it just makes for a whole le- le- lot less atmosphere when you're watching. Um, and you can only ever really hear them when the the big pops happen. You can't hear them most of the rest of the of the time, and that 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 just really that really bothers me, and it's one of the reasons why. I, I, I probably does color my kind of experience of watching WCW in general because it's just not the sound mix that I'm used to. Um, so yeah, that, that's just you know I thought it'd be good to just get these things out. So Tom, anything anything springs to mind? That is it. That is it in a microcosm. You could apply it to any number of things. Um, the, the problem is, I think when you come into uh, professional wrestling as a as a fan watching WWE or WWF, you get used to their production values and their attention to detail so there are things like um the camera work is generally really bad in wcw they, they, the direction of it is really bad they'll stay they linger too too long on something that's happening so they'll look you'll look down at the, at the there'll be a rest outside the ring or something like that and then there'll be a run-in happening and you won't realize that it's happening until three or four seconds after it's happened because the right camera isn't on they're not they haven't switched to the right camera in time um you're right about the sound mix that's really bad but just the production in general is really bad like the way they've got the setup of this pay-per-view so they've got like the ramp with all these with all these steps going down right from the front down to the ring um and there are lights like on the steps so whilst that kind of looks cool you can't see anything when someone's walking down to the ring until they get off of the stairs and they're actually on the ramp you you can't see who's coming um so it's just loads of those little attention to details, which I think Vince Man and probably Kevin Dunn get rightly slated for because of the, their kind of attitude towards wrestling in general. But when it comes to the presentation of it, it's doesn't it's nowhere near as good as WWE. I, I'd have to I have to agree with that. It makes a lot of sense. Old man, anything else? The main thing that I noticed is that the crowd, like I think, is the lighting of the whole show as well it it it's 1997 so it's only 23 years ago there were large parts of the show where i thought i was watching some from the late 80s just because the light and like the the whole crowd are lit up which 
kind of works on this show. And this is the first WCW pay-per-view I've ever watched. Wow. So okay. this is all this is all new to me. It it kind of works because the um it looks quite impressive, the crowd. I think I think it's only it's blimey, it's probably only about five, six thousand people there. But it looks quite impressive. But by the same note, it also looks awful as well because it kind of feeds into what you were you've both said about like the sound mix as well that I watch wrestling to watch the wrestling and you kind of feed off the energy of the crowd pops and stuff like that. It feels like the crowd are too much a part of the show, especially in this show where for large parts of it, they're sat on their hands, <laughs> which just makes it yeah. a bit awkward. And there's yeah. some really ugly people in the crowd as well. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple of other bits as well. Though. There's a couple of things that you pick up on throughout the show. And, and it's one like, we'll go back to that direction. They'll do like massive sweeping camera views of the crowd and the arena. And you're like, well, that looks kind of cool. But like whilst the match is happening, so you <laughs> you lose context of what's happening. And also the other thing as well that really that really strikes chord. And again, it's something that Vincent Mann gets heavily criticised for. But you can tell that the commentary team are not being produced in the slightest. They're just going free reign to say whatever they want, and it doesn't. A lot of it just is absolute nonsense that they end up talking to each other. Yeah, well, there you go. You know, bad production values, ugliness, and just making it up on the fly. Goodness me, the hypocrisy <laughs> that the ratings <laughs> Um, so um so let's move on to the actual show now first of all like you said they they have this i think really cool as you said um kind of almost dictator-esque parade convoy type thing that starts the show all in black and white with like large lots of large vehicles driving down the road slowly as the nwo arrive at the arena i thought it was a really really interesting way to start the start the show and one of the best things about the show I well, they just, all turn up on fucking bin lorries. Yeah, <laughs> and they're and they're getting they're getting a police escort, which is lovely. There's the limo at the front as well, yeah. which don't really don't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Then there's an ambulance escorting them, which is very <laughs> odd. I mean, to be fair, they're going into the arena. There there should be an ambulance there for health and safety, but also, so after they've kind of done the quite, it goes on unnecessarily long i think oh, and, yeah. they're, and they're all like they all look kevin nash in particular looks like he doesn't really know what's going on I, he just starts shouting too sweet at, <laughs> uh, at the camera which i think is was the last 15 years of his career yeah that's pretty much right yeah. but when they actually walk into the arena hogan leads the way and they're having a nice time and then this random old guy just busts past them wearing a Minnesota Vikings American football like varsity jacket. And I was like, what's it what's he doing there? <laughs> <laughs> it's this there's so many bits about this intro. So if I could dial it back just a little bit to the to the bit where they're entering the arena. So they're they're coming in on fucking bin lorries, which is which is weird in in the set in the first sense. As you said, no one knows what they're doing. There's a bit where <laughs> <laughs> six it just goes hey look at me and he's just running <laughs> next to the bin lorry and that's it that's it he's like a toddler he's like hey look at what i can do um there's there's the limo which i'm assuming hogan's in because um you don't see him on the back of the of the of the bin lorries and has there ever been a better kind of 
representation of Hulk Hogan versus the rest of the wrestling business than him turning up in a limousine and the rest of them turning up as fucking bin men. <laughs> they, then, they then get into the arena and like that bit that old man says, everyone's just talking and saying absolute nonsense to the camera. And there's a bit where Scott Hall, hammered, by the way, at this point, and it comes in and goes, smell that? And he, goes, <laughs> and he goes, and he doesn't know what to say. There's a little bit of like a pause and he goes, that's us. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, is that supposed to be cool? Is that, is that, <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, and they did with fair mind, and as we'll, as we'll discuss later on, um, the Dallas Cowboys escort, or some of the members of the Dallas Cowboys escort Hogan to the ring. But they haven't been shown at this point as well. And so he's just like, I've got the Dallas Cowboys with me. And you're like, no, you haven't. You just lied. <laughs> you just lied about that. They're not there with you. It's just all very strange. Very strange. I, th- I think it's really I do think it's interesting and it kind of um, there was a funny one of the first first things that Bischoff says when he comes on to commentary is him and, and Ted DiBiase on commentary one of the first things he says on a let's be honest WCW funded pay-per-view and I understand the storyline but the first thing he says is WCW sucks and I just yeah. <laughs> I just thought I don't know if you really want to say that I know I get it you know you know I get the storyline and I get I understand what's going on, but still it feels a little bit bit strange. And then yeah, DBOS and Bischoff are, are on commentary throughout. Um, I thought even you said they were very they were not obviously not produced, and I think it shows you actually the value of being produced. Again, another note of hypocrisy from us there. Um, but uh, they were they were awful. I thought DBOSI was awful, which was really no. disappointing because because yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of DBOSI, but yeah, it was I just thought they were both terrible. Well, there's there's a bit before they come out. Sorry, old man. Um, there's a bit before they come out as well that I'd like to kind of like to like, touch on slightly. So when they're before Eric Bishop comes out, you see the arena for the first time, and then there's three big screens behind, and there's like Hogan, Hall, and Nash, and they're talking to each other, and it's kind of reminiscent of that bit in Jurassic Park when Dr. Richard Hammond's talking to the video as they're about to do the tour, um, <laughs> <laughs> and it does it made me initially think of that, and then they come down and. He puts a headphone on, and you could see Ted DiBiase getting very annoyed by the fact that he can't get his headphones to work. <laughs> he's, he's like, and that was fucking. <laughs> you can see him getting visibly annoyed. And he's like, ah, NWO, yeah, I'm a trillionaire, or something like that. And then, yeah, it's just, you can see it's, again, it's that sort of thing where, like, and this is a recurring theme through the show, especially with these uh, rather unsanitary bits, unsavory bits, should I say, not unsanitary, unsavory bits between the <laughs> matches where no one has a fucking clue what they're doing. That's because people are shitting all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, when they, um, when they, like, appear for the commentary, old, uh, old Eric Bischoff is there and he stands with his massive leather coat on and he gets mi- mi- Miss Elizabeth, who is... Sorely <laughs> underused. She he makes her take off his coat. He's wearing a hoodie t- <laughs> tucked into his jeans. <laughs> I, I, when I was watching it, I was like, I, I had to pause it. <laughs> I, I could, not, could not believe there's someone. <laughs> Tucked their hoodie into their t- <laughs> <laughs> It's just unbelievable. Do you know, fuck me. <laughs> Do you know what's also weird about that bit? 
is that like he stands there with his arms around, Miss Elizabeth takes his coat off, and then he makes her put it back on again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's one of those moments where I think I just zoned out because I do remember him like getting her to take <laughs> off the jacket. But I, but when he put the leather jacket back on, I was like, is that the same jacket? And I wasn't sure. I was like, this can't be, this cannot be the same thing. It just can't be. But, but oh. evidently it was. Evidently it was. The same. Yeah. That's tremendous. And then start like like Tom said, they start with the awful commentary. Debbie Assi gets his hair off. And then they're panning around the crowd, and this guy is wearing NWO sunglasses. <laughs> unbelievable. These things, we'll have to find a pitch oh. to accompany the episode, I think, because they're incredible. And very quickly, you know, when we're watching these uh, NWO guys come in, and we've also got DBOC on commentary, and later on there's a match between Jeff Jarrett and the uh, Michael Wall Street we discussed last week. I was like, it's pretty much the same roster that we, we, we watched last week. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's 1995's WWF, all, like all rearranged back in WCW. I mean, it's, it's bizarre. Uh, it's great times. So the, the um, crowd, to your point earlier on, uh, old man, is five thousand, just over five thousand, um, which I imagine wasn't a bad crowd for an I, you know, a show in Iowa. Um, it's not exactly one of the the big big markets um, that they would have been playing to at the time. Um, and I think the what the commentary um, the commentary thing though that really kind of sums up the show for me is. What you were talking about earlier on, Tom, about the, the concept sounds good, but when you start to logistically look at it, like that means you have to have two heel commentators, um, which yeah. means that they're just they're pretty much all the way through kind of just playing it for laughs rather than almost calling the action. Um, you have to have a heel referee in all of the matches. Um as they are with Nick Patrick. Um, and so those things really start to kind of like it's all, It's quite fun, maybe, for the first match, but but after that, it just gets it gets a bit tiresome. Yeah, shout to Nick Patrick. I mean, he to be fair, he has to put in an absolute shift in this show, and also give a massive Danny McBride in Eastbound and Down vibes as well <laughs> throughout the entire show. It's just yeah, fair play to him. That 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 curly hair, the mullet, the goatee, it's amazing. You must hate the way he counts a four. Oh, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. The, way, oh, the little flap he does with his arm before he's oh, getting the seat. <laughs> yes, and then, no, I mean, it was good. It, there's one moment where Randy Anderson comes along and actually does a proper one, a proper count. And you're like, oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness yeah. you got for that. I can always rely on a Randy. <laughs> Um, I wonder how many times in our um, in our show over the next year we're going to say the words "thank goodness" for Randy. Um, <laughs> probably a number. Um, so let's get on to the first match then. The opening uh, encounter is Chris Jericho against Masachono. Masachono is uh, the wrestler um, representing the NWO, of course, from uh, you know the the international branch of NWO. Um, this one lasts 11 minutes and is won by Masachono with um, a mafia kick. Oh man, what did you think of this opening encounter? It's what I remember, like I said at the start, this is the first time I've seen a WCW pay-per-view. So this is the earliest Jericho I've seen. All right. Yeah. And, it, and it was very uh, very reminiscent of his early stages at WWE, where he's just, he's just a bit sloppy and it all looks a bit messy. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on as well. So WCW turn up. In the crowd, so yeah. Harlem Heat, Jerry Sags, and uh, Hakun turns up. 
yeah and there's steve mcmichael with deborah and you've got um barbarian with haku and you've got um randy anderson who we just mentioned the referee arn anderson is also in the in is with them as well yeah and it kind of causes a problem because like you two have touched on with the commentators they're kind of so biased at nwo and then the crowd as if to go full heel they uh they start chanting usa <laughs> at one point <laughs> which i thought considering that there's a japanese gentleman and a canadian in the rain <laughs> i thought pretty much it, it sets the tone nicely for the show i didn't um I don't want to. I don't want to use up all, all the material for this first match for everyone. But there's also a bit where a quite rough-looking table is set up, and or I think Bischoff says it's not time for dinner yet, and Debiasi says, "Yeah, no sushi yet," which is <laughs> quite uh, quite unbelievable. I mean, to me, it's not an excuse for him, but by all accounts, at this point in his life, Debiasi was absolutely hammered most of the time, so he probably didn't have a clue what was going on. He was probably then lucky to not know what was going on. Um, Tom, your thoughts? Oh, that's fucking shit. Um, <laughs> that'll, I, do. that'll do, Tom. We can move on if you want. I'm going up, I'm up for, my, for, for Tinky's promo on Jericho that he's going to do in a minute, I think. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> but the, um, the thing that, I, that it was most captured my imagination, imagination about the match is when um, Jericho is coming down. You can see a band setting up in the corner who, from what I can tell, don't actually play in the entire show. Um, I think there's one minute, I think there's one bit where they do for like a minute and then that's it. Yeah, and it's just I mean, incidental background music as well. It's not like they don't actually perform or anything. No, I'm wasting time. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> I'm like, I know that's like the searing analysis that people expect, but it was shit. It was just nothing. It was a pointless match, no one cares. Like they, they kind of establish the fact that Nick Patrick is being the hero. I mean, ultimately, it's a launching pad for Nick Patrick, isn't it? This match to kind of show the way he's going to referee the entire pay per view, and that's about it. I've got no idea who Masahiro Chono is. I've never seen him before in my life, and wasn't particularly impressed by him. Well, I think this is a this match isn't perhaps the best example of Masahiro's work. He was, you know, uh, he is he is considered a, a, one of the, you know, best. 90s new japan wrestlers around so you know I, I think to be honest he was he was phoning it in and i think you've also got to remember that masachona was one of the biggest stars in new japan at the time and probably he's on he's in the opener of a, a match against chris jericho who by this point was not really anybody in wcw he's a proper lower mid card guy so he was probably not that you know invested in in putting on a, a great performance contrary to your um suggestion tom i'm not going to cut a promo on chris jericho i don't think this is an important enough match for me to do that just yet um but so chris jericho think... is amazing all right you're not going to prompt me into <laughs> in, into the into the promo um we will get into that in a future episode um but you know i th- yeah i thought it was just so dull i just thought it was a really dull match and considering there's a table involved you and and considering that who's in it you know masachono with you know i know given you know despite what you might have just said tom masachono has got a huge reputation jericho in in his early career um you know don't get me wrong as old man said sloppy occasionally but still capable of putting in a performance but it's just 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 dire it was just really really bad and 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 i hadn't even thought about it in terms of what you said tom about you know this being the launching pad for patrick but you're absolutely right that's what this was and i think this is another 
I, I hate to do this, but they, this is another beef I've got with WCW's pay-per-views is that very often the early matches on their pay-per-views and uh, are either cruiserweight matches, which have not been built to, they're just there to kind of get everybody off this, you know, get everybody standing and excited, or they don't mean anything. They, they nearly always don't mean anything. The early matches on WWE pay-per-views, there's a lot of filler that they put into their shows, I've found. And um, and this was a classic in that respect because Jericho was no major... Um, Jericho was not, not a major player in WWE by this point. Um, and Chono obviously was only on loan from New Japan. So it was just a kind of, well, we need to get two guys out there in front of the audience. But my goodness, it was just, it was just really, really dull. Next up was the first segment of about Whoa. 59 million segments during the show, um, which was about the Miss NWO contest, where basically they had, I've written here, terrible Miss NWO contest with some dickhead on the microphone. Um, the, the the dickhead in question was Jeff Katz, who um, I think it's fair to say Dickhead is really not doing him justice. I mean, he's he's absolutely awful. And what the Miss NWO contest seemed to consist of was a number of women who seemed to have been brought in simply because they owned a motorcycle. In fact, Eric Bischoff even acknowledged that on the broadcast. Um, and they were throughout the show lined around the ring and up the ramp and by the by the stage sat on their micro their their microphones <laughs> sat on the <laughs> for the entirety of the of the show um and in between the matches um old jeff katz would go and speak to a couple of them and ask them some suggestive questions to which they appeared to not have any prepared answers to which uh, again was baffling um and it was just it first of all it was terrible in terms of his objectification of the women involved but also it was even if you ignore that it was just terrible it was just so badly done as well like i just i don't know what they were thinking here so i uh, this is for disclosure i love these segments no no um for disclosure it took me for um four like separate sittings to watch this pay-per-view in its entirety wow. and every moment that i turned off was a miss nwa nwo um segment um they don't there's been no rehearsal clearly done yeah. beforehand they don't know what they're doing they don't even look as i probably wouldn't be enthusiastic about it let's say if WWE did it and again it still wouldn't be right but they'd have gone out and got like a bunch of strippers and prepped them beforehand and got and got them involved and I'm not saying that makes it okay, but at least it would wouldn't have seemed so. Not only is not only is it really bad, like because they're objectifying these women in a certain in a specific way, but it's also just really clunky, terrible television. Yeah, as well. that's it. Yeah, that's so, exactly it. Yeah, and like it's just so weird. It's so weird, and it gets weirder as well. It does get weirder, and and um, this is surely what everybody, you know, we we the number of re- you know, pro wrestlers who worked for WWE in the past who'd also worked for WWF have spoken about just the pure lack of almost organisation and just professionalism when it came to the the prep and the the production and and the presentation. This is surely what they're talking about. This kind of thing, where basically, as you say, you've got I don't like four, at least at least eight segments on this show dedicated to this Miss NWO thing. And they must last about in total over 25 minutes that I thought. And they're terrible. No one seems to know what they're actually supposed to be doing. And the, the other thing is as well, is that they, again, going back to what I was saying <clears throat> just now, like there's such a strange 
broad range of women as well. Like, you wouldn't think if they're going to, oh, I'm going to crown mess in their room. But it looks like they've got like someone's nan out there with, you know, in one bit. And it's just really <laughs> strange. It's just really like, and don't get me wrong, nans, nans can be beautiful, but like, it's just, it's just very, it's just so peculiar. It's, it's the exact opposite of what you would expect from that sort of weird segment. And at the same time, exactly what you'd expect from that yeah. kind of segment. It's just horrible. It made me physically uncomfortable, some of it. But there is, uh, there's just, there, I think there's three of the segments where they can't even hear what, That's right. yeah. uh, what yeah. Jeff Katz is saying. So the, the nan that Tom refers to, the nan is sat on her motorbike having a night. She's just minding her own business, to be honest. <laughs> and uh, I think this is probably the sixth one in. And uh, she sat next to a speaker. So already she's she's going to have a tough time. And uh, Jeff Katz comes up to her, he makes some lewd comment designed to get a, a titillating reaction out of her. And she just goes, sorry, I can't hear you. <laughs> so he then tries again. And she then says, no, I still can't hear you. And uh, I mean, should we cover it all in one go so we don't have to keep coming back to it? Uh, yeah, I think I think well, let's at least uh, maybe cover all the stuff that leads up to the final segment, and then and then we'll do. Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts on that final one, so yeah. <laughs> we'll do that later. We'll do that later. <laughs> oh, great stuff. <laughs> like you were saying, why why when you're doing like a promo sort of segment like this, why is there music in the background? Yeah, it's, it's just really, it's really, really weird. It's just a really weird thing. The whole thing's really weird, and um. I'm just thankful that I've never heard of Jeff Katz before I watched this show. And I'm hoping he doesn't pop up too much um, too, too very often in the future either. Cause I've, I've, I have watched quite a lot of WCW and I've never, I've never seen this guy before. So I'm hoping I don't hear, or at least I don't remember having seen him before. So uh, I'm hoping we, that we don't get encounter him too much in the future. Well, that's disappointing because I've got Jeff here as a special <laughs> guest on the podcast. <laughs> So, hey, so would you guys suck off the NWO for 20 quid? <laughs> no, fuck off, Jeff. Go away. I, sorry, Jeff. Sorry, Jeff. I can't hear you. <laughs> so we um we move on to the second match, which is Hugh mm. Morris against Big Bubba Rogers, otherwise known as the Big Boss Man. Um, in what we don't get told, I don't think we get told until the match begins, is a Mexican <laughs> death match. Um. Which ultimately ends up really just being a last man standing match, which, you know, it's fine. I don't have a problem with the different names. I'm sure, in fact, it probably was called a death match of some kind before um, last man standing. Although I don't know it was always called a Mexican death match. But, um, yeah. Does anybody know what's Mexican about it? No, that's I no, no idea. No, no idea whatsoever. Um, and basically, this one ends after nine minutes when Bubba runs Morris over with a <laughs> motorbike. One of the... Um, more bizarre more bizarre endings to a match uh oh man let's start with you what 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 do you think of this one to be honest i was never going to be hugely invested in a hugh morris (laughs) big big bubba rogers match but the thing that caught me off guard again because i I wasn't paying any attention to wcw i never watched it was eric bischoff going to town on randy savage like at the start of the match for probably about three or four minutes of the match. He's just having a go about Randy Savage. Randy Savage is in there. He doesn't even turn up later because <laughs> I was assuming that he was going to. Yeah. 
Yeah, to be honest, pretty much everything that you touched upon. Hugh Morris does do an incredible moonsault type thing off of the fourth step, and he misses it, and he just, he just looks like a drunk falling down the steps. But yeah, I mean, you, you said how it ends when he, Big Bubba Rogers, seems to have a, a little bit of trouble starting the bike, and then runs it legitimately runs Morris over. So fair play to Morris for taking the bump. But if I'm taking a motorcycle to the leg, I probably want it to mean a bit more than it does in this sense, unfortunately. Going back to the moonsaulting of it all. <laughs> the, um, the sideways moonsault. Yeah, it is appalling. <laughs> and it's especially disappointing because he actually legitimately does a pretty good moonsault earlier in the match <laughs> yeah. as well. Like yeah. for like a big guy, like it's an impressive moonsault he does. And then he just decides to just like do this weird, like it's like, it's like Terry Funk's moonsault, isn't it? Where it looks like sideways. <laughs> oh, it's worse than Terry Funk's. It's worse than yeah. Terry Funk's. Um, the, it's, the, it's the uh, kind of moonsault I would do. That's, that's what it is. Yes. It's the, it's the moonsault. And to be fair, I wouldn't want to do it off a couple of stairs either. So no, it's understandable no. why you wouldn't do that. But yeah, it, when you say that, it's the sort of moonsault that you would do if you weren't feeling confident about doing a moonsault, isn't yeah. it? Um, well, it just felt like, to me, it felt like if you don't feel comfortable doing it, don't do it. Don't set it yeah. up. There's just no point. Splash him instead. You know? don't yeah, do yeah, yeah, yeah. Legit. Um, but yeah, I second what old man said. Like, I wasn't going to be too invested. I've always been a big fan of Boss Man when he's celebrating standing on the bottom rope. <laughs> yeah. you know, getting on the bottom rope in the corner and giving it the big one because you don't see anybody else do that, do you? So, um, yeah, I was a big fan of Boss Man. I remember, I think, the uh, <laughs> the uh, battle at the Royal Albert Hall where he hit someone with a double double axe handle off the bottom rope, which is very satisfying <laughs> to see. No one does it better off the bottom rope. No. <laughs> I, need, I need an extra foot of elevation on this. <laughs> yeah, no more than that. It'll be too much. It Maybe he had bad knees, perhaps. I mean, I don't believe. I mean, I wouldn't get off the middle rope. He's a big guy. He's a big guy. Yeah. After all. The other thing at the end is, so he runs him over. Hugh Morris ain't getting up. He's been run over by a motorbike. For some reason, oh, big big Bubba Boss man, he sprints back to the ring with Nick Patrick <laughs> so so that he can do the count. It's like he ain't getting up, mate. You've just run him over. <laughs> yeah. Um. A bit a bit of a strange one. I would say though. Until a later match, this was on this was on the cards to be match of the night. <laughs> this is how bad this show was, because because genuinely until there were until a later match which we'll get to, this was looking like the best we were going to get. Um, there was a bit of chain action in there, Bossman um, using a chain on on Morris, um, and then as you say, the no laughing matter um, moonsault that Morris did on uh, Bubba off the off the top rope in the ring. That looked excellent. That looked really yeah. good. But then he did do the sideways moonsault later on. Um, but, it, you know, it was all right. It was, it, to be honest, for a big Bubba Rogers versus Hugh Morris match, this is about as much as I could possibly expect. So I can't really moan about it. No, uh, the one one last final touch on it, the bit where uh, you referred to the chain bit, where he initially gets him and he's got it all coiled up. Like yeah. it, it's, he hits him. He doesn't hit him like whipping with the chain. He like has it all like caught up in his hand and then he hits him with it. I legitimately thought he was hitting him with a sandwich wrapped in tinfoil. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, it's a loaded sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> it's... 
this was the point when they kind of all filled us in on the fact that oh by the way this is a mexican street fight because mm. before that i was like hang on why has he just not been disqualified he's, and not only that like <laughs> then you, you could almost explain it away by patrick kind of being the referee but then then morris started using it and you're like hang on what this is why, where's where's the disqualification oh oh i realize now it's a mexican death match I'm, I'm pretty sure they didn't mention that before did they no uh, no because i <clears throat> when i was watching it i made a note of that i don't really understand uh, but also there's the uh just towards the start this was another thing that confused me is well that there's a big theme in the uh in the pay-per-view of people just not selling like they sell for all of about four seconds oh big big bubba boss man gives hugh morris two low blows <laughs> one after the other now Many years ago, I was playing five-a-side football, and I was playing goal. And I took two hits to the bollocks from the football. <laughs> Either left and right, or what? Um, possibly, but they were about four minutes apart. I was in agony for about two days. So how Hugh Morris carried on wrestling, I mean, take, taking two of boss man's big old, big old forearms to his bollocks, I'll never know. Well, he's, 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 he's a hard nut, isn't he? Quite literally a hard nut. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> There's a bit where, um, it, oh, sorry, you're saying that story, old man, maybe think of a couple of years ago in the North London derby between Arsenal and Tottenham. And there was a player called Francis Cochrane, he used to be a defensive midfielder for them. And he um, he got hit really hard in the nose of the football and had to go off for a couple of minutes um, for uh, for treatment. And then he came back on and he had two cotton wool pad buds up his nose. Um, and then he <laughs> the ball's coming up and I'm pretty sure it was um, uh, Soldado. Um, was was going up for the header, completely missed it, and the ball just came out of nowhere and hit him right <laughs> in the face. And it, it was completely caught him off guard. <laughs> Both cotton wool buds that were up his nose flew out of his nose, and he was in absolute agony and had to go off. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, so good. The joy you took in uh, you know in describing that is just uh, psychotic. Psychotic. Yeah, it, was it was so funny. So after this match, there's more terrible Miss NWO crap. And then there's um, a, an advert because the NWO are also online, guys. There's there's an NWO <laughs> website and they show the screenshot for the NWO website. And my goodness, cutting edge technology <laughs> or what? My goodness, this is really like I guess it just shows you how far the web, the, the, the technology and the Internet has come in, in the intervening period. Well, the, the thing that struck me about this was the one it looks well it's 997 so it looks dated but they don't actually give the address <laughs> of the website they just show the website it's almost like in the older uh, tv show bullseye for those that are old enough where they used to show people what what they could have won if they had one like people don't know where to go to go onto this cut and edge website which got some awful pictures as well yeah awful, yes. awful pictures of the wrestlers yeah it's, it's a lovely piece of uh it's a lovely design that the, the the nw website um and um yeah I, I guess i guess they just didn't think they needed to provide to provide the address because they're like this is so amazing looking 
people are just going to seek it out. They're just going to want to see it. Then you don't need to give them the address. Doesn't matter if Google hasn't been invented yet. I'll find it anyway. <laughs> now, earlier on, old man, you cast dispersions upon Hugh Morris and Big Bubba Rogers, suggesting that you wouldn't weren't exactly stoked by the prospect of the two of them facing one another. Well, I've got to be honest. I don't think that there's ever been a match I wanted to watch less than Jeff Jarrett versus Michael Wall Street. I genuinely took one look at this lineup and I thought, this could possibly be the least inspiring lineup for a wrestling match I have ever seen. I guess it was okay. I just couldn't get at all invested in it. Nine minutes long. Um, and the winner in the end was Jeff Jarrett after um, Steve Michael and Deborah decided to get involved. Uh, so what happened? Jeff Jarrett got the, the figure four leg lock on Michael Wall Street. Um, Patrick, Nick Patrick then helped Wall Street to the rope. Um, uh, and then uh, Steve Michael came in hit Michael Wall Street with the briefcase with, I guess, Wall Street's briefcase and then um, forced Patrick to make the three count when uh, Jeff Jarrett got on top of Wall Street. So Nick Patrick pulling um, IRS, we'll call him that, onto, in, over to the ropes. It's comedy gold, the way it's done. It looks great. It looks so funny. And he's like stupid hero comedy gold. The briefcase, because well, while I was watching this match and I was like, do you know what this match needs? Steve McMichael. They need some Mongo in it. My God, he's awful. Um, the commentary are horrendously um, <laughs> like misogynistic and chauvinistic towards Deborah, being like, oh, he's telling them what to do. I don't like it. I don't like it. Well, one, you're not supposed to like it because you're trying to get him to cause a loss for your guy. But you know, you know, don't be, you know, don't be that, don't be that guy. Um, the suitcase that he uh, hits. Uh, Mongo hits um, IRS with is made out of the same tinfoil that that sandwich wrapper was made with <laughs> because it is the flimsiest looking thing I've ever seen. Um, it was, it, I'll be honest, I'm not going to say it was the match was terrible because it is exactly what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. For me, it's got two great things about it. The So at one point, Michael Wall Street pops a sleeper on Jeff Jarrett and Eric Bischoff pops like I've never heard anybody pop for a sleeper hold. It's unbelievable. It's like it. It's like it's. Well, he doesn't pop. I mean, he wouldn't. He's heel, but he didn't pop that hard when old Big Bubba Bossman ran over Hugh Morris, which is probably more impressive. And also at the end. Arn Anderson looks so bored in the ring, uh, in, in, in the crowd, sorry. The camera pans to him and he's just sat there like someone's just pissed on his cornflakes. Looks awful. <laughs> I thought this was dreadful. Yeah, so I guess I guess the the thing for me is unless anyone's got anything else to say about this match, I'm willing to move on. I, I didn't think like I don't think it was terrible. I just had no. It was just the most. I think the thing is, if it, if the prospect of it was that it would be really really bad, I would have been more interested in it. It's just that I knew it wasn't going to be bad. I knew it wasn't going to be good. It was just going to be completely pointless. Just another quick note. Obviously, uh, Deborah and Steve Michael. Yeah pop down to the uh, ring from through the crowd where's security that's where? a very good point well to be honest given that given their preparation for everything else i'm not surprised that they didn't have any security quite well, frankly. yeah this is, this is a fair point well there, there were <laughs> we'll touch on the ddp bit later but there are security and they are wearing nwo t-shirts which kind of makes sense 
Um, but yeah, we'll go on to that later. But it's, it's still, yeah, again, no, no opposition at all. He could have at least decked one. Do you know what I mean? It's not hard, is it? No. I think I think the the other thing about this match is again another kind of theme of the show is just really like cheap or odd finishes. You know, like we've already had the motorbike <laughs> and now we've had this where basically Stephen Michael forces Nick Patrick to make the three count uh, under threat of violence, I assume. And don't forget, we don't really need security. Why aren't one of the NWO wrestlers out there? I mean, Vincent or Virgil, as he's known in WWF, is in the NWO. He doesn't do anything for the whole show other than accompany Hogan to the ring. So, like, what? Why is? Why doesn't he come down to stop him? Um, well, and, to be fair, if he had, he might have had to have thrown a working punch, and he wasn't really capable of that, was he? So, <laughs> have it, Virgil. That's yeah, right. have that both barrels. <laughs> Um, so after this match, some more Miss NWO stuff. And then um, we are on to the fight between the two former American males, Buff Bagwell and Scotty Riggs. Uh, a match between, as I said, former tag team partners here. And um, the match was won by Bagwell, as it was always going to be won. After nearly 14 minutes, these two go at it for. Um, Buff, Buff wins with a Buff Blockbuster. Um, there's a nice Tornado DDT in the middle of it by Scotty Riggs. But this mm. is a, another another rough one. Yeah, but I tell you what, I quite enjoyed Buff Bagwell. I quite enjoy his uh, arrogant heel shtick because I imagine that's probably what he's really like in real life. Well, um, well, I've met him in real life, um, and he is actually a really nice guy. I found really? him a really nice guy. Um, one thing that people forget is that Bagwell, um, when I uh, when I met him it was five or six years ago now, he was still only forty five then. Um, yeah, so young. back in. Back in 97, he was really, you know, he was only 22, 23. Um, and, uh, and so he probably was a bit more arrogant back then. But when I met him, he, he was, he, he absolutely surprised me in terms of what a nice, nice guy he was. So I, I've only got nice things to say about him, except for this match. <laughs> there's a great, there's a great bit at the beginning of the match where he can't get his waistcoat off because his arms are so big. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so good. And him, again, him and Nick Patrick really ham it up. It properly, um, it's probably funny because he's just like, oh, come on, come on. It won't go off. It's brilliant. I'm, a, I, I'm not having a good time watching it anyway at the, uh, up to this point. But this is where it probably starts to lose me because it's the first time that they have the loser announcement over the PA system. Yeah, the NWO voice loser thing. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it just feels like, and this is almost definitely what it was, was that everyone backstage was just getting drunk <laughs> and, and pressing they, the button. Yeah. And they just started doing that and it gets more frequent. Re- regular. Yes. Frequent. Thank you, Ben. That's the word I was looking for. So for anyone not entirely certain what we're talking about, this is, there's obviously the NWO voice guy who talk, who does do kind of a lot of the voiceover stuff for the NWO during this, this period. And um, over the PA, um, there is, his voice comes on and it just says the word loser a number of times during the show um, without really any kind of explanation. And this is, as you say, old man's the first time that we heard it. I quite liked it. If I'm being honest, I found it. I I thought, I thought it was, it was obnoxious enough to, to be in character and be still be, and be quite entertaining. The problem was, was the intermittent way in which it was used. It didn't make any sense. Also, can we quickly discuss this a second? So the music, so, Throughout the, throughout the show, 
when the baby faces come out or the WCW wrestlers come out, they don't have music, which I think again is quite a, quite an interesting take. Cause they're like, yeah, we don't, we're not even going to give them music. It's in the WA pay-per-view. But what's the deal with, do we know what the deal is with the WWE's licensed music? Cause the outsiders and Hogan come out to the Jimi Hendrix sampled um, guitar riff, which we know is to be the NWO theme. But I think didn't Hogan always used to come out to Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix? I don't know if he did so, all the time. I think maybe that became possibly came a bit later. So, but the, the did the rest of the NWO not come out to that NWO music as well? Because they've got this really weird, just generic crap music for every NWO yeah. wrestler. Um, and I did wonder if they could, if they like WWE only paid enough, you know, to be able to use the licensed NWO kind of Hendrix sampled music. Or if if it just hadn't become that bigger thing at that point, I can't imagine that that's the, I imagine it's the latter of those two options. I think that, uh, or maybe or maybe it's just a special thing they did for this particular pay per view. I mean, who knows what the logic would have been? It was almost mm. like let's save that music for the big for the big stars, and then we, we you know you can have the the generic rock music. And it did seem to be like it didn't seem to be dubbed over the no. the, the production. Like I've seen a lot of the like. For example, in Mid-South Wrestling in the early 80s, the Junkyard Dog used to come out to another one, Bites of Dust. That was his theme music. Mm. Um, but WWE have uh, put some music over it and properly dubbed it over. And you can tell it's dubbed over because nothing else. You can't really hear much else. In this, it's definitely not put in. So I don't I don't know what the, 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 the story behind that is. I can only assume that at this point, only the three main guys had that NWO music. Mm. And there's also the... Um... Same, I think it's the same with Demolitions music. Demolitions music's not the same on the WWE network. Oh, that's an absolute disgrace. Yeah, so it's, it's a sham. I'm cancelling my network subscription. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the, the deal with that is, but but this is actually the first match where there's like a genuine story, right, between the two yeah. ca- two guys. I mean, the the others are just NWO versus WCW matches. Um, this one's actually got a personal thing, and I guess in fairness to them. That's why they gave them the extra time. I tell you what, the 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 one thing as well before we move on is on, on the music. Old uh, old Buff Bagwell has a lovely little dance with the <laughs> yeah, with, yeah. With, with 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 the potential Miss NWOs. Oh, on, it's amazing! Like at the top, he looks so awkward. He looks almost as awkward as the ladies who, I mean. Let's just say they're not professional dancers. <laughs> no. Um, on the previous match, sorry, going back to the Jeff Jarrett match, sorry, Tinking. Um, were we aware at this point that Jeff Jarrett was a member of the Horsemen? Because I've just gone onto the Wikipedia page for the event and it says Jeff Jarrett of the Four Horsemen takes on Mr. Wall Street. You're asking me a question I'm not entirely certain of, to be honest. The timing of that particular storyline development, I'm not, I'm not clear on myself. Uh, that that would explain why they went to Arn Anderson. But yeah, it wouldn't explain well, also, why Arn Anderson looks so bored. Well, also that Steve McMichael is involved because Steve McMichael was part of the Four Horsemen. Uh, uh, my God, that's a fucking grim era for Jesus. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, what, so what are we talking? Those two, Arn Anderson and Flair. Was Flair about then, or was he on his gardening leave or whatever? No, no, Flair was there then. Flair was there then. So, yeah, he was part of it. I mean, he came, Jarrett, Jarrett came back and was originally kind of like in a tug-of-war type, um, kind of bidding war between the NWO and oh. and the, the Horsemen. Again, and he, it, he was a draw, mate. 
He was a fucking yeah. draw when everyone knows <laughs> yeah. it. So. Indeed, yeah, absolutely. Um, moving swiftly on. Um, up next is uh, DDP against Scott Norton. Um, Can I just ask before we get into who is Scott Norton? So Scott Norton um, was a guy that probably is, or probably his biggest success came as part of New Japan. He was a um, IWGP champion at one point. Um, actually, friend of the podcast, James Chupenny, um it rates Scott Norton. I've seen about 15 to 20 matches that Scott Norton's been in. He is absolutely the drizzling shits. He's like a, he's a dreadful wrestler. Cannot sell for everything. <laughs> he's just fucking terrible. Like he's really, really fucking terrible. Does does um, he always look like he's on the verge of a fucking heart attack? My <laughs> <laughs> like, God, he looks like he's about to burst. Yeah, he does always look like that. So, yeah, I guess so. I've I've my 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 note here is quite literally Scott Norton is the worst. That's all I've written. <laughs> Scott Norton is the worst. There's a lot that goes on during this. Well, so there's a little bit of wrestling. Can, the wrestling can we just say as well? Yeah. Thank on, God Tom. for DDP. Oh yeah. I, I've my experience of DDP was his WWE stuff, which is mediocre. But I kind of appreciate how good he, he actually was in WCW. Well, he's but, the first person that's actually over on the show as well when he comes out. Yeah. Yeah. And Sting turns up, and then nothing. Nothing. Sting just stands there for a bit, and you're like, hello. This it is all going to pop off now. I think. I think he's going to come down. He's going to get. He's going to help DDP. No. So this is the period where uh, Sting isn't doing anything. Like he's literally not saying anything, not getting involved, not wrestling, and he just stands in the rafters at various points because basically he become. It, it, the storyline was that he become disillusioned with infighting within the WCW camp, um, and he obviously didn't want to join the NWO, and so he was kind of he transitioned to being the Crow Sting and was now stood at you know in the rafters, and he didn't have a match until the end of this year. So this is January. He didn't have his first match until December of this year. Um, well, and for the World Championship against Hogan. I believe it was you. You, I think Tinky said it on many moons ago on when you were doing the Daily Squash that uh, Sting was at his most over when he didn't wrestle and didn't talk. Exactly. <laughs> as long as he doesn't do anything, he, he's massively popular. The minute he opens his mouth, it all goes to shit. Um, they, um, yeah, like DDP's as good as Scott Norton is rubbish. Like he, he's very good in this match. Like you said, Tinky, he's the most over. Um, it kind of he basically dominates the majority of the match until people start coming in and he starts dishing out. Um, they want to actually so he, he come in and they offer him again a um uh, and an, a membership to the NWO. He puts the shirt on, starts high fiving everyone, and then starts dishing out diamond cutters and runs out of the ring through the crowd, leaving everyone really annoyed. And what I liked about it is that Buff Bagwell is one of the people that comes out to offer him the t-shirt he gets really annoyed he gets on a turnbuckle or starts yelling at um, DDP and then just starts flexing he's so annoyed he starts flexing <laughs> but um, I'll, I'll be honest I think Buff Bagwell might be my favourite wrestler of all time um, but he but like it's amazing DDP's in the crowd it's absolutely amazing he's got he rips the NWO shirt off everyone's going mad for him and that's when you notice the security guard stood next to him in an NWO shirt and you think to yourself come on that's just an oversight do you know what I mean just have have you have the security guard there waiting, not in an NWO shirt? Mm. So it just looks fucking weird. Like, and then he escorts them out. You're like, surely you should be battering DDP from behind there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If you were really a member of the NWO, so I don't believe he truly was. 
the security guard. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, like, the thing that I find a bit odd about this is I did a little bit of, I did a little bit of research into this. And I was like, I'm sure I've seen this footage before, but it looked a little bit different. And then it comes to be, this is the second time they've done the yeah. exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and this is so odd. Like, I was like, why have you, so they're like, do you know, do you know it worked before. Yeah. Let's do it again. Because that's exactly what I thought when I saw this. So I looked up when he'd previously turned them down. It's a full 12 days previous. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, to be fair, it gets the desired reaction because the crowd... Yeah, they love it. This is yeah. as hot as the crowd get during the whole show. In fair, fact, yeah. it's, it's probably all downhill from here. This is like the peak. And then they're going downhill. Well, the crowd are anyway. Going downhill fast and then a load of cyclists in France. <laughs> so, just, so just to clear everything up scott norton is declared the winner by count out after about nine minutes of action I, I put action in in air quotes because this is not a great match um scott scott talk about selling i mean scott norton just doesn't sell it just literally no. doesn't sell a thing um so scott norton's declared the winner um and as as ddp is escaping through the crowd having been kind of uh uh, having fooled the NWO for a second time, um, Buff Bagwell's on the microphone saying, you made a big mistake, we're going to get you and all this kind of stuff. Um, classic, classic, really. Classic little angle, really. But it was yeah. a match, not an angle. That's the thing. And, and it was yeah. another match that ended with a silly, strange referee ending. Well, and, and also Bischoff on commentary at the end. Um, so just after Bagwell's having a little flex, I think Bagwell also <laughs> blows a raspberry. Such a great a great comeback. Yeah. Um yeah, so Bischoff is watching I think it's six people in the ring who are in the NWO who've all just been duped by DDP again for the second time in a couple of weeks. And Bischoff then describes DDP as dumber than a bag of dirt. <laughs> so yeah, we had uh, Bagwell, Vincent, Michael Wall Street, Street, Big Bubba Rogers, um, and obviously we already had uh, Scott Norton uh, at ring, in the ring as well. Yeah, that um, is a list of workers, isn't it? No, big time. <laughs> there's, there's also another thing that I meant to kind of bring up earlier as well, and, and it goes. And I, the reason I bring up now is because I can remember a specific moment of that. They use a fisheye lens camera, don't they? Quite a lot in in the paper in the, yes. in the matches, which again, just for aesthetics, could potentially look quite cool. There are moments where it looks quite cool, but again, they just linger on it for too long. And then, but what I quite like is that he keeps getting in the way of the other cameraman <laughs> as well. At this point, you see so many times where he's like, oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> he's like trying to wave this fucking thing. It looks like you know when you get the, the window cleaners that have got those big brushes with the. <laughs> They're like floppy, and he's just trying to control the thing. Ah, oh, mental. Love yeah, it. Yeah, you're right. It, it was just a bit like they, they use it too often. It was lingered on for too much. And I guess it was kind of trying trying to evoke the kind of alternative look of the NWO, which they'd had throughout their, their run. So it made sense. But you're right. It just was used a bit too much. Yeah. So on that note, we will take a we'll take a break because we've got the three main matches coming up uh, in, in a minute. So, yeah, well, let's let's have a quick break and then we'll be back in just a second. Folks! 
comes through with the search for Miss NWO. Now let's find out if contestant number seven has what it takes. Now you might not know this, but Vince, the head of the security for the NWO, he's been known to dress up in, you know, a cheap hair piece, a powder blue suit, that sort of thing. I want to know, would you be willing to dress up with Vince? And if so, what would you wear? I can't hear you. What would you wear with Vince? Would you dress up? Sexy lingerie, something like that? Okay, she's open to it, folks. Let's move on. How you doing? It's contestant number eight, isn't it? Oh, my. Now, you know that Scott Norton did not get the nickname Flash for any reason, you know? Now, I want to know, would you help Scott with his flashing problem, or would you just add to that problem? With his flash? I'd help add to that problem. Oh, I think it's getting a little risque. Eric Bischoff, I'm going to take a cold shower. Back to you. Welcome back. So um, what we've got up next is the sort of big three matches of the night, all, ta- all tag team, that's not right, all championship matches, um, starting with the Outsiders defending their tag team championship against the Steiner brothers. Um, this one lasts nearly 15 minutes and I thought it was a pretty decent little tag team encounter. Um, old man, what was your thoughts? I think especially compared to the rest of the card, it's very decent. One thing, one thing that did catch me off guard it's just how awful Kevin Nash is. I mean, he moves, he moves like he's 60 in this. And I know, I know he had some, some knee issues even at this point, but he's dreadful. I won't go into the finish. We'll, we'll build to the big finish, but uh, I thought, I thought it was all right. I think Scott Stone is wearing a black shiny. He's wearing something that Sable would ordinarily wear yeah. a couple of years later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he probably wears it better, to be honest. I, th- I, th- <laughs> I, th- I think we'd all agree. It's very odd seeing Scott Steiner in 1997 looking as he does, because I believe it might be later this year or early next year that he goes a bit nuts and bleaches his airing. Well, he joins the NWO. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's going to happen. One thing that did bother me in this match is uh, I know Eric Bischoff is going to put people over, but he kept putting Hall and Nash over as great guys and the great work that they're doing for the business when in actual fact they were killing the business one, one ruining of a career at a time. Well, in fairness to them, they were... A major part of WCW taking over WWE uh, as the number one company, certainly in North America. Um, they obviously, when they jumped over to WCW, that was the big catalyst for the change, and the NWO came along soon after that, uh, which is made up of them and, and Hogan. So I, th- I think that's what he's referring to at this point in time: is WCW's going has gone supernova. It's beating Raw, Nitro's beating Raw in the ratings every single week at this point, and that's largely due to the excitement surrounding the NWO um, and the storyline that these two men had come in with. So I think I'll give him, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt here. I think that's what he's referring to. Scum. (laughs) (laughs) So this one is again, see this one, I thought it was a good match, but again, it it had a load of silly referee stuff at the end of it. So um, what happens is that there's an outsider's edge by hall um, uh, on, I believe on Scott Steiner. um, And then the referee um, 
get but but the referee gets taken down just before after being uh, after colliding with with them um rick rick steiner then bulldogs scott hall and puts scott steiner on top of of, of hall um and then randy uh, randy anderson comes out of the crowd jumps in the ring counts the pinfall and we seemingly have new tag team champions uh as a consequence of all of those shenanigans of course that was um that that then led to Randy Anderson being fired uh, on Nitro two nights later. So this no. was a Saturday night. This pay per view, Randy Anderson got got fired in the storyline for counting the pinfall, and he also then stripped the Steiner brothers of the tag team championship. So ultimately, oh, this match didn't really mean anything because the titles were then stripped from the winners of it. Um, so not only did we have a a sort of uh, a bit of a lousy finish, but but it didn't mean anything two days later. Well, so I wondered what what would happen after after the event so every now and again after a pay-per-view um i will sometimes watch the next uh, or start watching the raw or the nitro afterwards and i actually started watching the episode of nitro afterwards and immediately regretted my decision but that actually <laughs> literally happens at the opening of the show it's the first part of the show before so this the following show opens up with bischoff on commentary with the outsiders well, they're, they're on commentary and they start off and they call Randy Anderson's in the ring I'm assuming ready to officiate a match he's got his little little bow tie on and everything and um, he uh, they call him up and he's like <laughs> was like, I know you've had a rough year as if we're supposed to know what they're talking about but he's like I've had a rough year but I don't care about your family problems you're fired you have breached your contracts and it's just like so weird and like Scott Hall's giving it the old woo you know, and oh. it's just like it's just such a weird, unedifying thing. And then, literally within the same segment, the the style is supposed to come down, come out, and defend their tag team championships against someone. They get as they're walking past the commentary booth on the way in, the um, they get stripped of their title, and it's all very oddly done, or from the commentary booth. And then it occurred to me that. It's from the commentary booth. There's no, it's just the, the audio is from the commentary like channel. It's not hooked up to the arena. Right. So people who are in the arena wouldn't have a fucking clue what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't have a clue. They'd just sit there going, what's going on? And they don't, and they don't offer the next place. And there's not like a promo or anything. It's all, it's so weird. It's so weird. And, and it just speeds back into those that being shit. But um, <laughs> go. <laughs> There's a couple of things that you've done. fans out there. We're trying to be, uh, we're trying to be, um, you know, impartial. <laughs> but it's hard when you've you've been brought up on, you know, 30 years of WWF propaganda. And listen, Class. you can't you can't polish a turd, can you? You know, <laughs> you can admire it from a distance, but you don't want to stand in it. Um, but <laughs> there's there's basically so going back to what you said earlier, old man, about Scott Steiner, I find really interesting because I because again, as I wasn't a WCW viewer, um, I I can remember buying. I wasn't a viewer, but I weirdly bought the WCW magazine sometimes. And I remember buying the WCW magazine, the um, issue after uh, Scott Steiner joined the NWO and dyed his hair and bleached his goatee and everything like that, and was so much more massive than I had seen him in WWF. So my kind of memory, there's like a big gap really between Scott Steiner from being in WWF and then being Big Papa Pump. Yeah, and so that and that was what I remember at the time. It really shocked me when I saw him as Big Papa Pump because he was so much more huge than he was when he was Scott Steiner. He was still pretty big when he was in WWF, but and it's really unusual seeing him 
like old school Scott Steiner, but absolutely enormous before he turns heel. He is gigantic in this match. Like he's so massive and it looks really, looks really unnatural because he looked so completely different when he turned heel later in the year that it's almost like he's a completely different person. But when you see him transitioning from that character into the other one, it's really weird, really quite unsettling. The only thing I'll say on that, though, is that actually I think if you go back and watch one of the Steiner Brothers matches from WWF in 1993, you might be surprised by how big Scott Steiner is then. Yeah. Um, I think he's just, I I don't know what it is. I've noticed this a lot. I always thought Scott Steiner was smaller, but I've seen, for example, I watched a lot of the early episodes of Monday Night Raw uh, not long ago, and they they are all, they're, they're on there, quite a few of those episodes. And yeah, he's, I mean, he's not as big as he would be as Big Papa Pump. He's still a big guy. Still a really big guy <laughs> back then. Yeah, Scott was hammered. I I Did didn't he? notice that. I didn't notice that. I gotta be honest, I didn't notice that. So towards the end of the match, obviously Nick Patrick takes a bump. It's it's a brush on the shoulder. He sells it like he's been. It's proper Earl Hebner selling. Like he's out of ring. He's he's in pieces on the floor. Like you said, Tinky, Scott Hall gets bulldogged. He sells this bulldog for, I think, it's something like four minutes. <laughs> He's led on the floor. <laughs> and then, uh, like, he's pinned probably for a 15 count, I think, before the three count's actually done. That's right, yeah. And then one thing I notice is they, like, they go back to the commentators and they're having a chat and then they pan away. And this is probably four or five minutes later. Paul and Nash are just walking up the steps. <laughs> so I've no idea what they've been doing in this time. <laughs> they've been, uh, they've uh. been selling all of the offense that everybody else has taken during this show. That's what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. Just, <laughs> like they, basically, they, they're just selling all the offense that Scott Norton took in the match before. They're just trying to, just trying to make up for it, I think. That's what's happened. I also think that this match and the finish kill killed the crowd completely. I just there's no reaction from my memory to anything, and then it feeds into the next match, which is a tra- a travesty <laughs> that they don't get more of a reaction. Well, that next match is uh, Eddie Guerrero defending his United States Heavyweight Championship against six. Did I say it's in a ladder match? 13 minutes long. Um, the match ends when both both men go up to the top of the ladder and they kind of both grab the belt. They both have hold of it when they manage to detach it from the ring uh, that the, the belt's hanging from. And then they drop it as, as they fall off. And then Eddie Guerrero quickly scrambles and picks it up. And that makes him the winner. I couldn't tell whether or not the ending was botched and therefore... Eddie Guerrero's scrambling to pick up was actually real life panic at the fact that they may have messed up the ending. Um, probably the best match of the night, although I still thought a little bit disappointing. Um, I didn't like the end. I thought the end was a bit kind of out of nowhere and a bit kind of a bit of a middling ending. But ultimately, it was a it was a it was a it was a good match. It was yeah. I mean, it was going to be two good workers. You know, Eddie Guerrero widely considered one of the best six. Um, or one, two, three, could have X pack, or whatever you want to call him. It's always been a very handy worker where I don't really think really gets enough credit for how good he actually is. Agreed. Yeah. Um the 
quick quote, go on to the, um, you know, commentary, you know, disasters through it. Teddy, Ted DBS, he calls Eddie Grow a Mexican jumping bean <laughs> as he comes down, which it's not great, is it? I mean, come on, Ted. I mean, I know you're a man of God now, but you need to repent for that, don't you? Fuck me. Um, <laughs> And but like it was it was a good match as you'd expect it to be. Yeah, the, the ending was a schmoz and it was a bit of a disaster. There were some quite nice, quite nice, nice moments in there. I did quite like the fact that they kept on uh, saying that Scott Hall invented the ladder match. And I was sat there, I was fuming. I was like, it was fucking Brett, you cunt, it was Brett. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was just gritted teeth. I was like, it was the great man himself. But um, yeah, it was it was fine. It was it was a good match as you as you expect. Reasonably back and forth. But yeah, the ending is just a bit of a a bit of an annoying botch. I assume they gave the title back to six the following night on Nitro. Well, Guerrero was already the champion, so I think, uh, okay. I think basically they didn't they they didn't change anything because they didn't need to because Guerrero was already champion. Mm. But but yeah, another kind of basically if this was either botched, which is a shame, or it was booked to be like this, which means it was more weird end match booking, which. You know, as I said, it just goes right the way through the show. But whatever the case, they're just the endings of these matches just are not are not great. I really like the end because it was something different. The thing that ruined it, it didn't. No, I still enjoyed the end. But the thing that I found very disheartening was the fact that the crowd do not care. Like it was something where they should have been old six pack tries his best. He like he's properly playing up to the crowd as well. He's kind of like he's effect. I know he's not supposed to be on the pay per view, but he's kind of trying to work heel, and he's trying to make people care for Guerrero. But the finish just doesn't get what I think it deserves because there is the scramble to get the title, and it should be exciting in there doing the tug of war with with the title. I just thought it was it was wasted on a crowd that had, to this point, probably watched an hour and 45 minutes to two hours of absolute dross and probably all wanted to kill themselves. Well, if they didn't want to kill themselves before this match, <laughs> they certainly <laughs> did. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I remember what I was going to say. Um, the, the the hypocrisy of Eric Bischoff's um, commentary when they're talking uh, about six is amazing because they, he keeps constantly talking about... He's like, oh, it's six, the expert in karate. And then Eric Bishop starts going on about how he does karate for ages. And then he's like, and then you've got all these phonies pretending they're black belts, but they don't know anything about karate. It's literally Sean Waltman, what you're talking about. He's like, to put him over, that's amazing. He's like, yeah, and all these people who can't really do karate claim they can't they're scum. That's it, scumbags. So anyway, six. <laughs> Steven Seagal and Jean-Claude Van Damme came in for some heat from Bischoff and Dean. Yes. Big time. I tell you what, right, Steven Seagal is legitimate, uh, legitimately a badass. He um like tra- used to train with like Anderson Silva and stuff like that. So he's legitimately like a this genuine is, black belt in this martial arts. This is the classic wrestling call out though, isn't it? Where you know Bischoff is perfectly aware that he's never like Steven Seagal's never gonna like call his black no. come to WWE and beat the shit out of him so he just does it knowing that full well he's got the cover of the fact that that guy's just never going to do it even if he heard about it which he probably wouldn't anyway so um yeah uh not exactly a a bold thing to do um 
so, so as I was saying, if the if the fans in attendance didn't want to kill themselves at, before the, the the penultimate match, they certainly did after the penultimate match, where we get the finale of the Miss NWO segments. Um, I can I can I make a can I make a confession here? Um, I watched this show with my wife, and um, because I was so embarrassed already by this whole ridiculousness, and I knew that this was the finale now, I went out and made a cup of tea whilst this was going on because I didn't want to sit there and watch it because I was so embarrassed by how bad this um, stuff was. So I'm going to need one of you guys to walk walk everyone through what actually took place. I, I know what happened at the end, but the, the, the whole bit where they were introducing each of the contestants, I, I didn't see. So literally, the scenario you've just said, exactly the same thing happened with me i was sat next to my wife on the sofa and it was it was on it was happening and so much so that i had to i she could tell i was overcompensating by how shit it was by going this is shit right yeah. <laughs> look how awkward they are look how uncomfortable they are yeah <laughs> because it was so fucking dreadful yeah. and it's the sort of thing you know, every now and again, you have this bit, and like someone would be like, "You are dressed," and you're like, "Yeah, I know." It's like I, we know that people are like, "You know, it's not real yet," and you're like, "Yeah, I fucking know that, you idiot." But it's it's an it's escapism, it's a soap opera. I also know that Breaking Bad and The Sopranos isn't real. But you don't feel the need to tell me that, do you? Um, and you sit there and you watch it and you defend it. You're like, do you know what? It's just fun soap opera for for blokes or, or people who like it, and it's fine. But then every now and again, there's this little gem that comes along, which makes you utterly ashamed to be a pro wrestling fan. And that was what this was. He, they line, line up all of the, the women on the stage. And Eric Bischoff is just waffling to himself mm. constantly. You can't hear what he's saying because there's music playing in the background. And the band is still setting up in the corner, <laughs> not doing anything. Um, and then they go around and they speak to each of the or each of the women, and it, a little profile of each woman comes up, and it says their height, the colour of their eyes, their occupation, and um, like a quote, something they like to do. And I took a, took a couple of notes at this point <laughs> um, of their jobs. Okay, so uh, we've got a manufacturing specialist, a self-employed contractor, an account banking specialist, a registered nurse. A school bus driver, semi-retired, a homemaker, homemaker, a grain inspector, <laughs> another grain inspector, <laughs> and a shipping and receiving clerk. Two grain inspectors. I thought that was a very niche job, and two of them do it. I'm assuming this is a, a, a big industry in Iowa. I'm, I'm assuming that's the uh, that's the connection. I, I think it's just the same. Um, like vt popped up twice unfortunately the same graphic popped up twice but i hope it's not because i hope they're both called mary and they're both green inspectors <laughs> that's what it was um it goes on for about i think three days <laughs> at least at least it did feel yeah. like an eternity because the kettle boiled and i was like well we're just gonna have to wait here whilst the tea brews aren't i because it's still going on and i don't want to i don't want to face it it was the equivalent of when you're about 10 and there's like a, a romantic scene in a film and you're sat next to your dad and you're like oh god it's just like this is the, the that's what it made me feel like I, I just had to get out of the room i was just like yeah you, you know I, I, if it hadn't been that i'd have like picked something up and pretended to read it or something because it was just it was so 
Oh, it was so awkward. I, to be honest, I felt like seeing as she'd sat through it all. In fairness, she'd fallen asleep for a good hour and a half before this. Um, that uh, you know, she she deserved some kind of reward for it. Um, yeah, and 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 so yeah, old man, um, tell us about your thoughts. So I'm not married. <clears throat> So well, thank, I, thank yourself lucky because she didn't yeah. have to give <laughs> Yeah, so I I watched it. I live on my own. I was still ashamed. <laughs> but I, like, going back to your point, Tinky, about watching a romantic scene with your dad, I would watch hardcore pornography with my dad rather than sit through this with my dad. <laughs> because this is inexcusable there is i mean it's all for the the part that tom has spoken about is terrible and then miss becky miss becky is crowned she's proud lovely absolutely lovely she gets a little like black and white bouquet which i think is quite a nice touch actually and then eric bischoff just starts kissing her yeah. Oh yeah. So, yeah. so, so, so my, my 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 memory is is that he kind of shortlists them down to just two women, and then he goes up and they whisper something in his ear, and then he makes the decision about who wins based on whatever they whispered, and then he picks Miss Becky, and yeah, and he just starts getting off of her. He's just like, well, that's it. I'm going to kiss you instead. Then the the thing is, she then gets a sash put on her, which is upside down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they give her the flowers and this this janky old kind of like crown thing. She does an awkward lap around um, the ring, presumably whilst they get the cro- they get the throne out, which is a gigantic black toilet that she sits on. <laughs> and then she has to sit on that toilet for the entirety of the main event while the rest of them get to to get away. Yeah. And then Eric Bischoff basically insinuates she's really ugly by going, "Well, I think she's really beautiful on the inside. Some people are. That's all that matters." And you're like, fuck me. Like, you... Ugh, it's awful. It is so bad. It... Ugh. I've written... I think this is one of the worst things I've ever seen. Not just in wrestling. One of the worst things I've ever seen, ever. It's awful. Who is this for? Oh, I don't know, yeah. But who... What... What make... You know what I mean? It's just like... There... There... Uh, I can't keep brain going back to this, but, like, there are... Very, very. I mean, we can't sit here and slag off WCW and not acknowledge some of the really questionable decisions they've made towards women's matches and stuff like that in the past. Um, so it'd be, you know, it'd be massively hypocritical for us to do so. But like, who is the audience for this, and why is it so long? Yeah, that's and that's bad the thing. and just bad, disorganized, yeah. badly produced, badly presented, badly executed. And bad, just morally bad. It's just in every way bad. Like, that's the thing. I think the WWE have done something awfully, awfully questionable, morally bad things in the past. As bad as this, probably, in fact, worse than this. But if you take away even the morality of it, it's also just really bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's not It's not even good television. It's not even good, bad stuff. It's just bad, bad no. stuff. No. And it's also... It's also not so bad that it's good either oh no it's just bad it transcends that yeah the the best thing about it is when i noticed like uh tom said earlier is when i noticed when hogan was walking down to the ring the woman the poor woman is still sat on the toilet 
That that was the best thing about it. And that's just me being juvenile. She's just there for the rest of the show. That, her, her prize for winning is that she gets to sit there and watch the main event, um, which is, you know, feels you like know a what? punishment. I hope to, as recompense for what she had to go through, I hope she had a massive shit at that toilet. Yeah. I hope she had a now massive NWO-sized juice in that toilet. Yeah, the new turn order. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> You know, um, actually, on the on the um, subject of who the audience was for this, this is, I think, this is, I think, WCW's equivalent of WWE's bodybuilding fascination is bikes. WCW have a massive, I think Bischoff more than anyone. Bischoff, probably, Bischoff, isn't there? Bischoff and Hogan yeah. probably mm-hmm. have a huge fascination with motorbikes. They had the even had the like Road Wild or Hogwild. Hogwild, yeah. Well, well, it was known as Hogwild, then it became Road Wild pay per view that they used to do in North Dakota or somewhere at a biker rally every year. Um, and basically, the whole audience weren't wrestling fans; they were bikers on their motorbikes, and that was it. And um, this is, I think. This is the equivalent. I think this is WWE's equivalent of WWE's bodybuilding fascination, which is motorbikes. And I think that's who he thought the crowd was, is people who like motorbikes. Uh, and I can, and given that, you know, it, the whole point was, oh, well, they, they came because they had their own motorbikes. Well, that seems to be the only reason why this happened is because they wanted loads of motorbikes around the ring. I'll, I'll be honest. There's, I mean, I, I think you're probably right, to be honest, but there's a guy... There's an older gentleman who's there, seemingly with his wife, who's got an NWO neck brace on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, I, I ain't convinced that he's there for the bikes. He's, he's just there for a good time. But also, he, he goes against his neck brace by popping for DVP, which is disappointing. <laughs> he can't. He's not even consistent in his uh, injuries. Uh, Terrible. Mm. So then we come to the main event, which <clears throat> features Hollywood Hogan defending the uh, WCW World Championship against the Giant. This match lasted just over 11 minutes and didn't really have a finish, as so far as I could tell from watching the show. Um, there was uh, the, the end kind of went with Giant hit the choke slam on Hogan. Um, Patrick Nick Patrick wouldn't count the pinfall. Um, because obviously he's the NWO's official. So the Giant chokeslammed him. Then Bagwell and a bunch of other people came to the ring. Giant was taking them out. And then Bischoff came down, brought a guitar with him, gave the guitar to Hogan, and he um, hit Giant with the guitar over and over again until the guitar didn't even look like a guitar anymore. Then Hall and Nash entered the ring. The fans chanted, we want Sting, but nothing was happening, and the NWO just sort of celebrated in ring to close the show. Tom, thoughts on the main event? So, first start, Hogan's shithousery is great. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoy him getting out of the ring, you know, basically being, being how I imagine he probably is in real life. Um, like, from again, like, I've seen a bit of NWO Hogan, you know, but not loads. And it is, he is a very, he's a good heel, which I think quite often gets overlooked in this in this run. Um, he comes out with the Dallas Cowboys, finally, right, and yeah. Virgil, and Virgil. Um, so that kind of makes sense, tying back to what he says at the beginning. But they're going to just seem to come down and just fuck off with no, you know, no discernible reason to get involved. Um, the match, 
wasn't great as you wouldn't really expect between the Giant and, and Hogan. But it's one of those things where you forget like, how like, lean the Giant was in a scene. He looked mm. great, you know what I mean? You know, especially compared to some of it, how he looked sometimes in WWE. And also, I forget as well how awesome his chokes used to be when he used to drive people down to the ground. It looks really cool. Um, but it won't. It wasn't very good at all, and and the the the, the kind of the whole pay per view, the whole match basically encapsulates the pay per view and the microcosm in that it's an average, average to poor wrestling with a schmozzy finish and no one satisfied. Yeah, and and you know it's going to happen again. You know this match will probably be the main mm. event of Nitro seven days later or another couple of weeks after that. Um, <laughs> it's just yeah, you're right. It's just classic for me. This is. One of the things that I've always struggled with WWE is they just seem to be a little bit of it just all seemed a little bit directionless most of the time. And it's typified by this kind of finish, which is just like, OK, well, no, Hogan hasn't won. The Giant hasn't won. That means we're going to get a rematch, even though this is the pay-per-view match. So really, this is where you want the results to happen because you're trying to build up to these shows every every month. And uh, yeah, for me, it was just it was just a bit throwaway, a bit bit. um won't won't live long in the memory put it that way oh man well so i was very confused because i thought giant was in nwo and uh i don't really understand why they're fighting i don't understand why he's wearing this onesie and you could probably count his pubes it's so tight <laughs> i it's horrible it's very it's hor- <laughs> just just a horrible thing to watch also, I was intrigued as to why the Dallas Cowboys are coming down with him. I didn't look into the actual reasons, but I thought, I wonder how far they travelled to do that. So it's 822 miles, which is a 12 and a half hour drive or, an, or a two and a half hour flight. And a bit like we've asked a few times on this show is, why are they there? Why is Hogan walking down with the Dallas Cowboys? Hogan lives in Florida. Why is there any like? Am I missing something? That's did they I, did they win the or were they in the 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 Super Bowl that year? Oh, that's a good point. No, they well, no, no, because the Super Bowl's like the following night, isn't it? So there's no way they'd yeah. be doing that. So we'll get into your NFL knowledge, here, old man. What would be the closest team to Iowa? Well, you have to so, also get into his geographical knowledge, too, there. Uh, so yeah. I, I did look this up. It is uh, Minnesota Vikings. Which so is there a chance they could have been playing Minnesota Vikings? They weren't. It was the Green Bay Packers versus the New England Patriots. Green Bay Packers are the other team that are closest to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So it still doesn't make any sense, though. <laughs> no. I think it was just part of WCW's kind of crossover with Disney and whatnot, and and kind of they just they just used celebs as and when it suited them, and I think they just thought it made Hogan look big, big, big time. He had these Dallas Cowboys with him. Of course, it didn't mean anything to me, but you know. they also say they tried to get the Detroit Pistons to come out with them. Why you'd highlight something that you didn't manage to get is beyond me. Um, yes, I, yeah, I know that, and also the uh, the Dallas Cowboys this year. I'm just uh, checking; they're absolute shit. <laughs> I, they're not good. They are not good. They finished last in their division with a heavily losing record. Too much party with Hogan, I guess. 
Well, yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing is an absolute state, isn't it? So the story leading up to this match is that the Giant had won World War Three, which is a 60-man battle royal that takes place or took place in November. Um, and the winner is supposed to get a, um, a match for the title. And when he asked Hogan for the, for the title shot, um, he got thrown out of the NWA, NWO. And he was then out of the NWO for the majority of the rest of the year until sort of 98 when he returned to the NWO. Uh, so with that in mind... When the big the end of it come down, he gets beaten down. He gets hit by, as he said, by that weird guitar with what I can only assume is a lot of cocaine in it because there's white powder that flies everywhere at the time. Then <laughs> for some reason for some reason, Hogan then strips him. He pulls down he pulls down his singlet and then pulls down his his trunks and you see the big show's ass. And the person who was like, no, this is too much. Give the man his dignity. is Scott Hall, <laughs> of all people. So I was like, I was like, my God, what is, what's going on here? Why has this happened? He pulls his trunks down. I think something real sinister is about to take place. And then Scott Hall comes in to the rescue. Very odd. The sinister stuff had already happened in the Miss NWO stuff, mate. So uh, they were going to do it twice. Just after they pull down the big shoes. <laughs> Uh, onesie someone comes into the ring with some garden furniture <laughs> and he's got this it's obviously it's a chair designed to explode on impact so it's a wooden chair with loads of um loads of slats in it i've no idea where it's come from like literally no idea because it's not anything you've ever seen in a wrestling ring it's like, it's like someone someone sit, sat down, went into their garden the next day and was like, I'm missing a chair for my bistro set. I don't know where this has gone. <laughs> it's just crap, isn't it? Like, and then they paint NWO on the big show. Well, I think this is the, the other thing that makes this show, again, in, in theory good, but in practice bad, is that... This is the NWO's pay-per-view. They don't want to weaken the NWO, so they want it to end on a good note for the NWO. You can't exactly have Sting come down from the rafters and attack them all, beat them all up, um, or you can't, and you can't have that, the rest of the WCW locker room, you know, pour out and attack attack them because again, it won't, it will weaken them on their own show. So they kind of have to be the ones who stand tall at the end. And yet, it's such a flat way to end a show. You're expecting a baby face runner or something to happen for someone to save the giant. And instead, that doesn't happen, and so it just ends up feeling like a bad episode of Nitro. That's what it. This what that's what this whole show feels like. Like matches that ultimately don't mean anything because either the 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 decision was overturned the next night, or the the, the match itself didn't mean anything in the first place. Um, you know, uh, inconclusive finishes and just at a, a heel kind of bit putting the heat on the bad guys ending, which I think generally you try and save for the weekly show rather than the pay-per-views because you want people having spent the money on the show to come out of it feeling like they saw something that they were happy with by the end um and i just think that that ending kind of is entirely in line with everything else you saw you saw during the end of the night during the rest of the night but you just thought at this point something else is going to happen and it didn't we just saw a minute and a half of them standing around in the ring looking happy with themselves well, there's a way. There's a way to do that kind of concept, isn't there? Not necessarily with the heel, but with the company versus company sort of thing. And the the perfect example of it is obviously 
the ECW one night stand in 2006, the kind of WWE versus ECW thing. And that's a good example of how it can be done well. I appreciate that the example isn't necessarily 100% because the, a lot of the, the ECW characters were kind of baby faces as well. Um, but that's that's why that's part of what makes the NWA so problematic, isn't it? Because they were so popular because they were different that they ended up kind of booking themselves into a place where you couldn't really do anything else because of the way that they that the NWA were perceived because they were such a cool because it is cool like the you know the logo the kind of the way they look it, it is cool and it was really different at the time and it's so it's so difficult to kind of maintain that balance between how you would traditionally book a wrestling show in order to make it make sense with this type of storyline going on at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And also with the type of egos you're dealing with as well. Let's not forget that as well. Well, This is is the other thing that I kind of look at this show and get a little bit like, I'm not annoyed, but just disappointed with it. Like look at the show, look at the matches who are on the show, the matches on the show and look at the people involved in those matches. And you've got, yeah, you've got the outsiders and you've got DDP, although DDP wasn't at this point a main event guy yet. You've got um, Hogan, you've got the giant, but they've also got like the likes of Flair and, and Luger and Sting and others on their roster. You're like, Surely you could have added more of these main event guys to this show. And instead, all we've got is Hogan and Giant, Guerrero versus Six, which, you know, as, as good as Guerrero is and was, he was not a main event guy by any means at this point. And then you have the tag team title match. And that's it, really. That's the, that's the whole those. That's what the show is, is sold on are those three matches. And I'm looking at their roster. I'm like, they've got such a depth of roster. How can that be? And this is, I guess, another theme for me about WCW, which, again, I don't like to say, like, constantly criticize WCW for, but it just feels like their shows were never full enough. They just always seem to rely on lots of filler when they didn't even need to. And they've got, as I said, this really deep roster of of big stars. Really strange. Well, to, to be fair, when you've got Chris Jericho and Jeff Jarrett on the undercard, you don't need anything else, do you, Tinky? Yes, true. <laughs> indeed yeah no you're, you're absolutely right apologize I, I take it all back i take it all back um so i kind of i've kind of given my sort of overall thoughts on the show i, I guess my rating if we're doing hour five is um gonna be it's gotta be a I, i'm gonna give it a half a star out of five that's how bad i thought this show was like in in every way like i thought there was no, was no match that i'd put above average like even the ladder match which i thought was good like i thought it was pretty bad for you know what what we you these two could have been capable of um the there was multiple bad finishes multiple matches that didn't mean anything multiple matches where the 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 crowd didn't seem bothered by it and that's without even thinking about the whole miss nwo debacle which was just horrendous i i think this is one of the worst pay-per-views of all time all right let's go you've given your rating Mm -hmm. which is generous What's your highlight of the show? Highlight of the show? Um, that's a good. That's a good question. I guess the best match, if you want to start with that. No, no. One just highlight. Highlight. One. One, hi- one thing out. that happened where you were like, yes. I, I, you know what? I'm gonna probably say that the highlight of the show then was was Hugh, Hugh Morris's uh, No Laughing Matter, the one in the ring, the moonsault they did in the ring. That was probably the best thing of the, the entire show, as far as I'm concerned. And the best match for me was the, the ladder match, but it wasn't, it wasn't, if people are thinking, oh, there might be a kind of a hidden gem in amongst all this rubbish, it's, it's not worth watching this show for. The, the other, I think something that we've not touched on 
which I had wrote, I wrote down, I'd written down, <laughs> is that Bischoff and Bibiasi keep going on about how history is being made. And no one does it better than the NWO. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they didn't do this again. They didn't do this again. They did have other sold-out pay-per-views, but they weren't an NWO presentation after this. In fact, not long after this, all pay-per-views became WCW and NWO present X pay-per-view. Um, and I think that was probably to prevent them from having to do another NWO pay-per-view because because uh, it just clearly didn't really work. Um, and so they, to that respect, they were making history because it was the only time it ever happened. Um, yeah. Oh, man, what, did, what was your overall kind of take on the show uh i would agree with your rating completely i think it's i mean i thought this when i was watching it if i gave Royal rumble 95 1.8 last week i mean compared to this that's wrestlemania 17 right (laughs) this is bad this is bad bad to the point that it kind of annoyed me when, when I was watching it, because it, like I said earlier, with the loser announcement, it felt like there was just a lot of people getting drunk, having a good time backstage. And there was a bit towards the end where you can hear Ted DiBiase ask someone for a beer as well at one <laughs> point. There's something that I like about it. It's just because of how hard everyone is trying. Like, this is, I can only imagine being sat in a meeting or something and people are running through what's going to happen on this pay-per-view and still going out and putting in the effort these people did. That's why I have a little bit of a soft spot for it. Having said that, my highlight is the man in the Minnesota Vikings jacket walking (laughs) in after Hogan, who's blatantly not meant to be there. So... <laughs> well, well, on that point, I I get the impression there wasn't a meeting beforehand saying this is what we're going to do. I think they were literally grabbing two or three people at a time who were going to be involved in the next thing and saying right, this is what we want you want you to do, and probably telling them like a minute or two before they were due to go out. Like it just that's what it felt like, um, just really disorganized and not not well put together. Um, Tom, uh, no, sorry, before we go to Tom, oh man, what was your what was your match tonight and your what is your rating ha- half a star basically? Point point five. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think no, no point five out of five, one out of ten, two out of twenty seems fair. Um, <laughs> the match of the night for me is the ladder match, but the moment of the night, outside of the man. Like, actually, from a wrestling point of view, I say wrestling, just purely because it took place in the rain, is Buff Bagwell blowing a raspberry. (laughs) Just because I think it sums up everything. It's just a man... Living living his best life. (laughs) Yeah, and also just living on the fly as well. Like, just someone's just giving him a microphone... And he's just gone, yeah, yeah, cool, I'll say some off flex and then I'll blow a raspberry as well. I would say my match of the night is the ladder match. It's hard to do anything else in it. Although I did like aspects of the um, DDP match as well. Um, my highlight of the night is Eric Bishop's tucked in hoodie. And- <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that's probably that's probably my highlight. Like, but my my overall thoughts are kind of echoing the sentiments that I said earlier. It's an interesting idea that was executed poorly, and um, yeah, I'm kind of glad that there's mercifully only one of these shows. Yes, one show just yeah, one show exactly like this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I. I I can remember if we included this last week, but I feel like we need to add in the person who chose this pay per view for us to do as our second episode was Tom. It was indeed. Yes, he did. Yes. It wasn't entirely random that we picked this. Um, it was it was Tom's suggestion that we uh, find what WWE's pay per view was in January, and it was super. It was sold out, and so. Um, we decided to do the first one of those, which was, uh, in retrospect, probably a mistake. And that makes us uh, kind of over two at the moment in terms of genuinely good shows. Um, because, um, you know, I, th- I think so having seen this, I think I do reassess my rate of my, re- my review of, of the Royal Rumble 95. Because, as you say, that was that was pretty much WrestleMania 17 by the standard, um, in my view. But there we go. So we got um we got a, another quiz then now is that is that we is do, that what we're trying we to do indeed we do oh, indeed yeah so we I feel like before we get into it we need to come up with a name for it it's called the game the game oh yeah of course it was yeah sorry come on mate fuck sake. you you've already brought it into disrepute you fucking <laughs> wow <laughs> here we go so it's time to play the game. <laughs> Where's he? He's in here. He's in the room. Right. So, in a rare moment of humanity, I'm going to pretend to be Triple H and I'm going to put someone over, but only if they win this quiz or the okay. game. So, from July the 3rd, 2001, to September 25th, 2007, WWE had a cruiserweight championship. Oh, God. What I would like is for you to take it in turns and name champions. Oh, Christ. Okay, so do you want me to go first? Let me go first, because thinking knows more than me. All right, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> fair. Okay. Hmm. It's Cruiserweight Championship. It's Cruiserweight Champions. Um, Tajiri. Correct. Uh, Billy Kidman. Correct. What the dates again, old man? Uh, July the 3rd, 2001 to September 2007. X-Pac. Correct. Uh, Chavo Guerrero. Correct. <laughs> okay, trying to up the up the <laughs> drama. Uh, Taka Michinoku. <laughs> Face. I think that's because that Taka wasn't a cruiserweight champion. He wasn't. Ah! He, he Taka Michinoku was a light heavyweight champion. Now I'm gonna put it to you two friends. Since... No, 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 no. I don't want a pity win. I'm not having it. I'll take no, 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 no. You're not having a pity win. Just a pity <laughs> continue because you're a dumbass who don't know the difference. Well, I'm, I, I, I haven't got many more, but I am happy to, to continue. I mean, whatever the case, I would have to get another one to win anyway, wouldn't I? Because Tom went first. Yes, you would, yeah. Um, so I will go for... Jesus, this isn't easy. Spike Dudley. Ooh. July 27, 2004, he's bloody won it! He's won it! <laughs> oh, my word, what a... 
What a time. He won it from Rey Mysterio. I told him not to see be... Rey Mysterio. Yeah, he did a long reign of 12 days. <laughs> <laughs> Who else have we got that old man? Jeff Hardy, I bet he's up the Z in there. Nun- yeah, I don't like Nunzio, maybe? or. So, let me run... Team Malenko. So, this is kind of in an order of when they won it. So, Billy Kidman, X-Puck, Tajiri, The Hurricane, Jamie Noble, Noble. Matt Hardy, Rey Mysterio. Matt Hardy? Yeah. Matt Hardy's massive. How's he winning the the Cruiserweight title? Wow. It's all right, because Jacqueline won it next. Oh, Hornswoggle (laughs) won it as well, didn't he? Yeah. Jacqueline won it off of Chavo Guerrero. (laughs) Who who then won it back and then got pinned by Chavo Classic. And then Rey Mysterio pinned Chavo Classic. And then Spike Dudley, Funaki, All London, Nunzio, Juventud, Kid Cash, who's obviously our truth. No, 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 he's not. That's Kid Quick. Oh, yeah, it was Kid Cash. Oh, yeah, it's a white guy. (laughs) Uh, To be fair, it's quite easy to compute the two. Uh, And then Gregory Helms, not the Hurricane. And then Hornswoggle, who still holds the title to this day. Wow. What a guy. What a guy. That must be the longest reigning champion in certainly since the fabulous Mueller won the uh, held the women's championship for 500 years. Well, I don't know. So on September 25th, 2007, it was uh, so the championship was vacated oh. by acting general manager Vicky Guerrero, citing that Hornswoggle's status as Mr. McMahon's son and his diminutive stature would eventually jeopardize his well being. The title was then retired without an official announcement. A new WWE Cruiserweight Championship was introduced in September 2016. But despite sharing a name with this title, it does not share its lineage. Mm. And it's since been renamed the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. There you go. There you go. You learn something every single day. You yeah. really do. So what, here's, here's something fun. Who, uh, who do you think held that title out of that list for the longest? In WWE. Greg. Um, Jamie Noble. No, it was Greg. Jamie Noble held it for 147 days. And that's the real quiz. And that is the real (laughs) quiz. I'll throw a few over a pub, mate. Um, I had had one one really quick idea for for a a really quick game. And this is is not going to take very long at all. But uh, there's been a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, wrestling references in the last like ten years, I reckon. The increasingly large amount of wrestling references have been coming up in hip hop. Um, right. So I wanted to know there's three songs, and I wanted to know two of them are real and one of them's false. Can you guess which is the real song and which is the false? Which the, which which two ones are real? Which one is false? Okay. okay? So we have. Gorilla Monsoon by Westside Gun and MF Doom. We have The Brooklyn Brawler by Sky Zoo. Or we have Barry Horowitz by Action Bronson. Which one is the fake? I think the last one, because you had to read it off a screen. I think the middle one. 
Really? Interesting. So that would be, old man, you are the winner of that one. Oh, damn it. It's great. <laughs> Barry Horowitz is a real song by Action Bronson off of his amazing. album Dr. Letter. Yes! <laughs> well done. Well done. And that's the, and that's the real quiz. <laughs> so old man, despite being quiz master for the game, <laughs> comes out the winner somehow. Unbelievable. I, hey. I just can't believe me luck. Hey, that is the kind of booking I would expect from a show like Sold Out 1997. So it's, it's, it's very fitting, quite frankly. Love um, it. So I think without, you know, at the, at the risk of extending this show any longer, I think we uh, we need to wrap up right there because we've already gone over two hours. Um, so, yeah, um, thanks very much for joining us. Very thank thanks very much if you've managed to get this far um, and, and managed to stay with us for all the for all the the absolute bollocks we've spoken tonight. Um, old man, um, thanks for joining me and, and thanks for uh, thanks for being part of the podcast again. No worries. Thank you very much, Ben and Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure. Although I, I don't think I'll ever watch Sold Out again. Well, you watched it twice to do this show, so. Well, that's because I'm a professional and you two are shysters. Erwin <laughs> <laughs> are shysters. And Tom, uh, thank you very much as well from yourself. I, please don't insult the listeners this week. <laughs> Why? <laughs> All right. Cheers, guys. And if you, if you, if you uh, are listening, uh, thank you very much. And please. Give us a rating and review on iTunes. It would be very helpful for us. That's right. Um, and just one other thing as well. You can find us, as uh, we mentioned earlier, on our social media accounts, which is all, both for Twitter and Instagram, at RWRPodUK. I know that's uh, very catchy. Um, and also, if you wanted to email us about anything, we also do have an email address, which I'm desperately trying to fill time uh, whilst I remember what it is. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Um, Random wrestling review pod at gmail.com. So if you want to email us about anything, you can do. Um, actually, I did wonder if we could do something. We could maybe uh, do something to, I don't know, see if anybody wants to get in touch with us and uh, maybe pose a question to the listeners. What do you boys think about that? Yeah, why not? Yeah, sounds yeah. good. Uh, so which uh, wrestler, past and present, would you least like to be sat next to on an aeroplane? Wow, exciting! Yeah. Well, I, I, I did, I did say at the risk of extending the podcast, and we did manage to do it just a little bit more. Um, <laughs> Go on, England! <laughs> um, I've been Ben Spinner. Thanks very much for listening. We will see you hopefully next week. <laughs>